I'll read Nehemiah 3, verse number 26. Like I said this morning, we're going to be continuing on in our series here on uh, rebuilding the gates, the Christian gates for your life. The city of Jerusalem is a picture of your life. It's a picture of how the, the Lord wants your whole life to be a city of peace. He wants you to be, have peace inside. You know, in the New Testament, he would uh, have the disciples on the boat and the storm would come. And he would show how simply the waves and the wind would obey his voice. The, the least rebellious thing on this planet was creation. The most rebellious was mankind. I wish mankind, I wish I would be that submissive just to simply, when he says a word, just to do it. And yet uh, creation did that. But even, even then, you know, he knew that the, the greatest accomplishment wasn't to calm the seas and stop the winds. It was to bring peace into man's heart. And that's where the difficulty is because we don't obey like the seas and the wind. And if we would, we would have peace. Amen. So these several gates that we've been looking at, they're really, uh, when you look at them, each one is in place uh, and they're, they're in the right order as you go through. You know you need the one before, before you get to the next one. And so we know this is of the Lord. I want to show you this, the, the graphic here first. Here you have the city of Jerusalem. You can see the arrow up top. That's where we started with the sheep gate. Then we began working around to the fish gate, uh, the old gate, and then we went to the valley gate, and then we went to the dung gate. And uh, last week we talked about the fountain gate. So basically the valley gate is that, is that, uh, that aspect of humility before God, is coming lowly before him. And after that, the dung gate is where they'd bring the refuse of the city out and throw it into the Kidron Valley to get rid of it, where it would burn. And that's where Jesus uh, used the Kidron Valley as an example of the lake of fire. And he called it Gehenna, and that's what he was pointing to. He says, where the fire is not quenched, where the worm dieth not. And Jesus Christ was pointing at that garbage pile that people were bringing all their junk to. And that's a picture of how all of our sin will be in that lake of fire one day. Amen. Uh, powerful truth there. The next one is the fountain gate. The fountain gate is talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's talking about how that you need to be spirit-filled, and you can't be spirit-filled until you get rid of the junk out of your life. When you empty yourself, that's when the Spirit of God can fill you. So it's just amazing how, as we look around these gates, each one leads to the next one. Of course, starting with the sheep gate, uh, which is simply the sacrifice. That, that's where they bring the ceremonial sheep in that they would be sacrificing at the temple as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's salvation. And so in this passage in Nehemiah chapter 3, when they started rebuilding the gates, uh, they started with the sheep gate. And you can see it's just the inspiration of our almighty God. Amen. And so he wanted us to start there and say, come on, Christians, you need to start rebuilding these gates in your life. And, uh, you know, maybe we're back at the valley gate. Maybe we're up the fish gate, understanding uh, why God saved you in the first place. Your purpose is to bring souls into the kingdom. Uh, he'll make you fishers of men. Amen. Whatever it may be. But I think as we go through these gates, we got a couple of very exciting ones coming up. We got the horse gate where they actually bring in the, the military horses into the city, uh, talking about our spiritual warfare that we go through. And then, of course, we have the inspection gate, talking about the judgment seat of Christ and preparing for the coming of the Lord. Amen. So it just really, it's just so perfect the way the Lord set it up. It's no accident. Amen. And as, as I look around and read books and it just seems like everybody has the same perspective 
of, of what God is doing in this passage. Now today we're going to look at the water gate. Now this is interesting because the water gate is connected somewhat to the fountain gate because the fountain gate was where the pool of Siloam was and the pool of Siloam, the Bible says, was interpreted sent. So whatever the pool was giving to the people for water, it came from a source. It had been sent from God. And we talked about that last week, how that the, the flow of that underground current, it wasn't always consistent. Sometimes it would flow more, sometimes it would flow less. And that's a picture of the grace that God gives your life. And so grace, uh, spirit, those are synonymous. When I say I'm filled with the spirit of God, I'm saying I'm filled with the grace of God. Uh, and, but before that can happen, I need to be humble and deal with the junk in my life. Amen. And so very powerful stuff. Now we know the source of that, of that uh, fountain gate where that, that pool of Siloam was, which is very exciting, way on the south end. It was so far at, at the end of Jerusalem that they only discovered it recently because they thought it was in a different place. And just through excavation, all of a sudden they came across this pool. And when we went there to Israel, I don't know what year that was, I keep forgetting. But we actually were able to see the half-excavated area of the Pool of Siloam and sit on the steps where this blind man went and washed his eyes with him when he had clay put in his eyes, how the Lord put clay in his eyes. And he said, go to the Pool of Siloam and wash that clay off and you will see. And like last week I told you, I says, why did God put mud in, in this poor guy's eyes and tell him to walk from the temple all the way down to the end of the city? Well, because he had mud in his eyes and needed to be cleaned. So the Lord, sometimes what he does is he puts mud in your eye. He puts things in your life that are difficult and hard so that you have to go to the pool. You understand? And that's where you'll find the miracle. But you've got to remember that the Lord... Uh, wants to fill you, he wants to empower you, and that is talking about being used of God boldly to bring the word of God to the, to the masses. But not only that, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all these things that are supposed to be in our life, that's a result of being filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the grace of God. Amen? So here we have the water gate. Now the water gate was actually where the Gihon spring that fed the pool of Siloam, this is where the source of it was. And so they would drop their buckets down and they would draw water up and bring it into the city. And it's very interesting because when you look at this, let's read in verse 26, it says, Moreover, the, the, the Nethanims, it's not the Nephilims, all right, dwelt in Ophel unto the place over against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. Now these guys, the Nethimims, they were the temple slaves assigned to the Levites and priests for service in the sanctuary. And so notice that, that, that they, were, they dwelt in Ophel unto the place over against the water gate. Now what's missing from this verse that we saw in all the other verses related to the, the gate? Nobody repaired. There was no repairs done to the water gate. That's because the water gate is referring to the word of God. It needed no repair. It needed no fixing. Amen. That's pretty exciting stuff. You know, all the other gates needed fixing except for the water gate. And I want to prove that to you as we, as we go through this passage here and look at this. So God's word doesn't need repairing. I hope you believe that truth. I mean, you're not one of these guys, well, you know, a better version. Would... You need to go to school and learn how to just submit to God. Amen. 
because yeah. you're too smart for God. When you're too smart for God, you just need to become a little dumber. Uh, I think so. Sometimes I think we're too smart for God. We think that somehow us in all of the, the, the information we receive from this world, that we can become so smart that we can outsmart the Lord. I'm sorry, no matter how smart you are, you're still pretty stupid. Amen. I, I got a master's and these guys, I still feel pretty stupid. And it's interesting, you know, uh, a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, college students, I remember when we graduated, I says, how does it make you feel? He says, oh, I'm just the same as I was before. I says, yeah, the little paper doesn't do much for you, does it? You know, it doesn't make you into this, ooh, now I know. No, you know what the Christian life is? You've got to believe God by faith. The only thing that he is ever going to be pleased with with your life if you'll just simply take him at his word he's not pleased with your smarts he's not pleased with with your masters your doctorates and how how you think you know everything in fact that many times gets in the way of how god can use you he simply just wants you to believe what he said that's why he chose fishermen and uneducated men to be the ones that established the foundation of the local new testament church amen he didn't use these smart alex he used this simple man. And they said, these are unearned, uh, unlearned and ignorant men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. Amen. That's what it's all about. Amen. And so this is interesting. You know, 13 years before Nehemiah got to Jerusalem. Remember in Nehemiah chapter 1, you find the account where he's asking this guy, he's saying, hey, tell me about Jerusalem. What's going on over there? And, and he'd say, hey, I'll tell you something. All the walls are knocked down. It's just a terrible sight. They are so vulnerable to the enemy. And that's what it's like when you don't have walls in your life. Uh, we know that years before that, they established the temple. They built the temple there. As a, so there was three different returns that took place. Zerubbabel went, and he went to there to start building the temple. And they went through many different on and off situations where they started and stopped because of persecution, because of trouble. And yet ultimately, they finally, through the prodding of the, uh, of the preachers and the prophets, say, hey, you guys got a nice house to live in, and you haven't even finished the, the house of God. And finally, they just got it straight. Let's do this no matter what the people say, you know, because they had enemies all around them. And uh, so Zerubbabel fil- finished that temple. The next person to actually go on that second uh, return from Babylon to Israel was the, the, the priest Ezra. And he was supposed to go there and reestablish the priesthood, the, the, the service and so forth. And that was his whole, his whole purpose in going to uh, Jerusalem. And we know that he was there for some 13 years before Nehemiah got the burden to say, I need to go rebuild those walls. So 13 years before, I want to read you a verse here from Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6 is really where it started, where Ezra would go. Uh, we have first chapters 1 to 6 is dealing with the first return. But now in chapter 7, we're dealing with Ezra in the second return. So it says, this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. He was a ready scribe. This means that he was skillful. He was diligent. He was ready with the word of God. He had studied and prepared himself so he could go there and instruct the people exactly how we're going to get back to the Bible and how we're going to follow the Lord scripturally, uh, you know, where, where we have for over now 70 years neglected 
this service for God. But I'm going to teach you once again to get back to the Lord and do it the right way according to the Word of God. Amen? So Ezra is about the Bible. Ezra is about the Word of God. Now, in Ezra chapter 7, verse number 9, a couple of verses further, it says, For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For, God, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it in Israel's statute, statutes and judgment. So he had a prepared heart. That means that he had to purposely set up his heart for the purpose that was ahead for him. See, that's what we're here tonight for. You're here to set your heart up, to make it erect before God. So that God can use you in a powerful way. You've got to prepare your heart to be used of the Lord. Amen. And Ezra, his heart was prepared. He was ready to go and do what God called him to do. Notice the next thing it says, that he sought the law of, of the Lord. And so we need to seek the law. The, to seek means to tread or to frequent. So when you're seeking for something, you ever lost your wallet in the house? How many times did you check each place? At least 10, 20 times. And then I tell my kids, you know, we've got to remember, we've got to talk, start talking to God about this and ask him, Lord, where did I put that thing? You need to help me. Because you can, you can only look underneath the couch so many so times, and it's still not there. It didn't just magically show up. But, you know, to seek the Lord means that you are willing to tread or frequent that pathway to the Word of God. I'm willing to over and over go to the Scripture and, and seek him and, and ask him, what, what do I need to learn here? What do I need to understand? And so this man was a good Bible student, amen? And then we have, he says, to do the law. Just while you, what do you need to know the Greek on that? <laughs> or the Hebrew? No, to do means simply to do. He just simply says, hey, if God says that this is the way we're going to do it. That's a great attitude for God's children to have, amen? It's not like, well, I know it says that, but well, we'll think about it. No, no, that's not what Ezra did. Ezra said, you know what, if it says it, that's what we're going to do. And he was that kind of man. And he went, and he went there, and, and he found that the Israelites were turning back to their old ways. They began, you know what they began doing you know, way back? The problem is they started marrying in to heathen uh, nations. And what we found now when Ezra came there is that these people, they were starting to marry into heathen nations again. So Ezra gets in the middle of the street and he says, what in the world is going on? And he falls on his face and he weeps and he prays. And people saw this and they're saying, what in the world is going on here? And then they began to understand what was going on. That They began to weep and to pray. And he brought revival upon there where people started saying, this is it, we're done. And they would put away and cut off those relationships with the heathen nation. Because you know what? They were going right back. One of the things that Ezra said was, the Lord has given you... This little space of mercy. And look what you're doing. This little time that he's given you. And you're blowing it, guys. And they caught that. And you know what? They just said, you know what? We're going to get right right now. Because they realized, man, we don't want to go back to that Babylon. We don't want God to judge us again and chastise us like he did before. And so what a powerful man this was. He just says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. If everybody's doing the wrong thing, I'm going to stand in the middle of them and say, this is the wrong thing. And you know what? He stirred a revival among those people. That was wonderful. Amen. And we could preach a whole message around that alone. But then he also says to teach in Israel. See, your, your Christian life is not just about you even learning and doing. 
You're supposed to seek and learn and do. And everyone in this room has to become a teacher for the Lord of sound, solid doctrine. Not this saying, well, what do you think about this? Do you think? No, no. Thus saith the Lord. Don't say anything out of your mouth that you don't know the Bible is clearly teaching. There's enough that you can simply teach from the Bible that you know to be true, that you can go the rest of your life and teach others instead of getting into these stupid topics that have nothing to do with people going forward, loving God, and surrendering their life to the Lord. Amen? I'll tell you something. We're worried sometimes we get so distracted with the little shiny things, but they mean nothing. They mean nothing. And folks, I just want to get back to the Bible. I go to a passage of Scripture. I just say, Lord, what are you saying here? What, what are you saying to me here? It's not like, what does this mean to me? <laughs> it doesn't matter what it means to me. All that matters is, what did God say? What did God say in context, rightly dividing the word of truth? That's what I'm concerned about. Amen? And I'll tell you, this word of God, it is just so consistent from the beginning to the end. There are no contradictions. I know the world is in contradiction. If there was a contradiction, don't you think that by now, the heathen and the atheists and the wicked people would have put that on every billboard of every place in this country? They don't have no contradictions. All they're trying to do is destroy the faith of God's people. There is no contradiction in this book. I believe every word of this book. And unless we have a people like that, I'm sorry, you're never going to be anything for God. We've got to have the word of God first because that's where everything comes from. That is the source. And without a pure word, I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing about it. You can't be spirit filled. You can only be filled as much as the word of God is controlling your heart. The boundary that you give the scriptures in your heart is as much as the Holy Spirit of God can fill you. And if you don't have the Word of God in your heart, I'm sorry, he's, he's just sitting in the porch of your house. And he wants to have complete run of that place. And the only way he can have complete run is when you start giving every area of your life to the Lord scripturally. And that, that boundary of your heart grows according to Scripture, according to truth. And the Holy Spirit begins to, begins to grow with it. They walk hand in hand. There is no Spirit filling without Scripture filling. That is the truth, man. Now, you can't just go and slap somebody in the head and they can be somehow Spirit filled. I'm sorry, that is whack. That is whack and that is just a show, man. That's just an emotional show. It has no lasting effect and there'll be nothing those people will do for God. It's about you being controlled by the very words of our God. That's when you can do something for him, amen? Amen, that's preachable, amen? So teaching. Now I want to move ahead here. Now Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he sees these gates some 13 years later. Who's there? Who's the guy there? Who's the priest? Who's the honcho? Who's the one that's been standing up preaching the word of God? Ezra. He's still there. He didn't quit. He didn't say, I'm going on vacation. No, Nehemiah is here and I can quit. No way, man. He continued to teach and preach the word of God till the day of his death. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah 8 verse 3, you see this. It says, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. From the morning unto midday, before the men and women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood these guys, amen, 
And next verse it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And that's why you have a raised platform. That's why you have a pulpit of wood. That's why the church, I don't want no glass pulpit. I don't want you to see, you know, see through that thing and look at me. I want a pulpit of wood. I'm always going to have a pulpit of wood. That's what the Bible says we got to get, amen? And it's a raised platform because they stood above because the word of God is above the people, amen? amen? It goes on to say, and when he opened it, all the people stood up in reverence to the precious words of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, because that's what it's all about. Uh, may God be thanked. Amen. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. amen. With lifting up their hands. Oh, let's not do that. We can't do that now. Yes, you can. Amen and amen and praise God. Amen. I got no problem with that whatsoever. Now don't act like a crazy nut or something, but I'll tell you something. There's nothing wrong with amen and lifting up your hands to the Lord. We have it right there, right next to the pulpit of wood, right next to the preacher, right next to the giving of the understanding of the word of God. It's right there. Doctrinal. Well, we can't say anything in church. You know, we've got to be very sacred and somber. Well, I'm sorry, you wouldn't do well in Nehemiah's day. They'd say, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you believe the word of God? Don't you believe it's true and right? It doesn't need repairing? Amen. So Ezra blessed the Lord. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And by the way, today in some of these church services, they slap somebody in the head. They didn't put their faces to the ground. They put their back to the ground. They go on their back and... You know, that's not what God wants. God wants a sign of submission and humility before him where you don't look him in the face like the, like the publican who said, I can't even look God in the eye. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the, 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 the position that we hit face down to the ground when the word of God is being taught. Amen. That's why we give you an opportunity at the end of a service. It's important that at the end of that service, you bow your heads and worship the Lord with your faces to the ground. Even though you may not put your faces to the ground here, but your hearts ought to be put down to the ground. Amen. So right here, we have the whole doctrine of the Baptist church service right here. Amen. So the word of God is vital to God's people in so many ways. It was here that the guy on spring is thought to have started its flow down to the fountain gate the Word of God is the source of all spirit fullness. Ephesians chapter 5, 26 is that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the Word. So water ties in with the Word of God. Uh, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. So the Word of God has a lot to do with cleansing. The laver in the Old Testament, they would take the mirrors of the women and they would beat them into a, into a laver and they would put water in there. And before the priests would enter into the, the tabernacle, they would look into this, uh, this laver that was built from mirrors because the Word of God is a mirror to your soul. And they would look into it and wash themselves as they saw themselves and cleanse themselves so that they'd be prepared for the service of God within the temple. That's what it's all about, right there. Amen. That's truth. That's just not a, you know, a, a Baptist illustration here. We're talking about that is why God did what he did with the tabernacle. To give us that kind of insight. And that's why he gave us the water gate. And that's why Ezra, when he was preaching, he preached by the water gate. Because he knew that we need cleansing. We need our hearts clean. We need to be changed inside. And he understood that. And he, and he knew that in order for that to happen... 
It wasn't just the reading, because the Bible says that they stood up and they gave the people understanding. That's what preaching is. Preaching isn't just reading a passage. It's like this morning I read, uh, you know, Romans chapter 4 and everybody's kind of, <laughs> what does that mean, <laughs> you know? So we got to give the sense thereof. That's what it's about. It's so important. God has chosen that. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching. It's God's way, my friend. And I love music, but he didn't choose music to do that. He chose the preaching of the Word of God. The Watergate is the preaching of the Word of God. It's, it's the Word of God itself and the effect that it has on your soul. Amen? His words are pure. The Bible says in Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So I don't know about that preservation well, the Bible says that you're preserved in Christ Jesus. So if you don't know about that preservation, then how do you know about your preservation? That's the way I look at it. If, I, if the Word of God is preserved, and He says, I'm preserved, I want that preservation to be pretty uh, eternal. <laughs> Amen? And you know what? That's the same way it is with the Word of God. It's preserved forever. There is no thing because the world is so wicked. You want to talk about wicked? You should, you should, should have been there when they gave the original autographs when they were lighting Christians on fire in Nero's garden, dipping them in wax. You don't see that happening in Canada. <clears throat> Yet people say, oh, because of the wickedness of man, we can't have the real word of God. Well, that's why the Bible says in this very passage, though the wicked are on every side, I will preserve them. It doesn't matter how many wicked people there are. <laughs> there's always been wicked people. And there's been worse times than this. <clears throat> Way worse. The dark ages, where the word of God is being kept from the people of God, where they had to hide all the time in in having their church services, that was just a normal way of life. We're in a way better situation today, even in our liberal government. Amen? Now, it's going to get bad when the Antichrist takes over. But I'll tell you something, we're going to be gone. We're going to be raptured. It's going to be over. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen to my parts on my knee, but they're going to stay behind or they're going to one up. I don't know. They're going to say, what are those parts on the floor? (laughs) Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Oh, no, that's just in heaven. Well, yeah, that, that really helps. Why is God's word given anyways? Is it given so that God can say, I've got a word, it's, it's perfect up here, I can, uh, one day I hope you come and see it? No, he gave it to mankind. When he made these promises, he gave it so that we as mankind could bank on his truthfulness and on his righteous judgment so that they would endure forever. No matter what men did. Amen? That's the kind of preaching we need today. There's enough of these smart Alex saying, well, I think a better word is this. You need to go back to school, man, and start, start unlearning what you've learned. That's what happened in the, in the end of the 18th century. They all thought, I'm going to send our students over to Germany and they're going to learn how to be this highfalutin, uh, you know, educational instructor. And you know, that's exactly what they did. They all became higher critics. They came back and started attacking the Word of God. And that's why they began to uh, put down the King James Bible. And that's when the modern translations began. When people became too smart for God. 
We're going to make a better one. We're going to make a better one. And ever since, it's been going down, down. We've already made it now to the surfer's Bible, dude. We got a Queen James Bible now for, for gays. I'll tell you something. They should just kept what they had. But, you know, some newfangled doctor with all these names, they thought, oh, look at the, look at the prestige and look at the education. Uh, folks, I'm all for education. I've been educated. I, got a lot, I read a lot of books. I do a lot of things to prepare for this. But I keep my particular education based in this book, the King James Bible. I don't let anything keep me away from that. Because if you do, you will become corrupted in little, little ways. There's some good writers, guys that I like. When you read their books, they start criticizing the Bible, saying, what's wrong with you, man? You'd have done so well if you just would have believed God. You know? My goodness. And I understand, you know, in the 1800s, uh, 1900s, right at the beginning of that century, they didn't understand the battle that they were facing. They were ignorant to it. Many of the preachers were. They, they didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand the downgrade. But there were certain men that did. Charles Spurgeon knew what was going on. It cost him his life. Took everything from him. You know, he didn't have just a, a heyday of a life. I mean, he constantly was battling that downgrade and constantly trying to expose it and trying to stay uh, integral in the middle of that, trying to be a man of integrity. And because he made promises, he says, I can't expose this guy again, that he says, I, I've just got to just keep teaching the truth. But they kept attacking and attacking and the pressure. It's a satanic, man. You go back to the dictionaries in the early 1800s, it talks about the Noah's flood being global. Under the flood, global flood. But after that downgrade, after these smart Alex got in there, oh no, it was just local. They started attacking the very veracity of the word of God because they became so smart. I, I just, sorry, I just got a bone to pick with these guys, amen. amen. Psalm 138, verse 2, I'll worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. If you were to tell me about the name of God, what would you say? You'd say, oh, that name is just powerful. That name is beautiful. That name is holy. That name is love. That name is grace. That name is, is omniscient, is omnipotent. Is what God says. I'm going to lift my word above my name. And we got, we, we've got the, the gall to attack that word that he lifted above his name. Don't you think that when you do that, you're not only attacking the word of God, but you're attacking the God of the word? We don't understand that. I tell people sometimes, you talk about losing your salvation, I'm going to tell you something. You're not attacking me. I never deserved it. I shouldn't have never had it. It was a gift given to me. But I'll tell you something. When you start talking about losing your salvation, you know who you're attacking? The God of the salvation. Because he's the one that made the promise. We don't even understand we're doing it sometimes. We're so foolish. We're so smart. So smart. I'm going to show you what I know. Just read the Bible and believe it, man. Just go to it and just say, Lord, what did you say here? I believe that. Just like Ezra. I believe it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach it. Those are the true men of God. That's that's the men of God we need today. We don't need these smart Alex. You can't understand what they're saying half the time. Uh, you know, people look at me, you've always been such a simple preacher. I know, I don't know any big words. I just got a vocabulary of 30 words, you know. That's good, that's okay, as long as I can make you understand the Bible. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 140, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Therefore, because of that, 
Because your word is pure, God, I love it. Why don't people, why don't people love the word of God today? Because preachers are attacking it. Oh, a better word. better. You want your kids to love the word of God? You stop ripping it down. You want your kids to start reading the Bible? You start teaching them that, my friend, that, my friend, is God's very word. There's not one word in there you need to change. You just read it and love it. Don't spend your time time picking it apart. The Lord never called me to pick apart his word. He called me to read it. He called me to study it. He called me to believe it. He called me to do it. And that's what I need to do as a preacher, and I need to preach it too. Amen. Amen. That's what it's about. So so far, so good tonight, folks. But man's words are not good. (laughs) We know that. But we listen to them so much, you got to be careful. So many warnings are given in the scripture. And we start listening to these people because, oh, well, you know, they're a nice guy. I don't care how nice they are. Well, they speak so, I don't care how, if they got all the big words and they sound so, it really doesn't matter. I take what they say and measure it toward the Bible and it's wrong. I say, you're wrong, my friend. I don't care how smart you think you are. Simple faith. When I stand before God, you know what he's going to say? If I've lived my life by faith in his word, He's going to say, I am pleased with your faith. You know, if I live my life by my own intellect and say, well, God, you know, I did a good job of picking apart your word and causing people to doubt, he's going to say, I guess what, I'm not pleased with you. The only thing that's going to please him is your faith. You just take these words and you just say, I believe them. That's it. That's it. These guys that are up there criticizing, oh, man, when I see a preacher doing that, I want to go up there and just throw them off of that pulpit. You have no right standing behind a pulpit of wood like Ezra. You are not a ready scribe. You have not prepared your heart. You've not sought the law of the Lord. And you're surely not preaching it. Just trying to prove how smart you are. Get out of the way, man. Lose yourself. Stop trying to brag on who you are and how smart you are. Get out of the way and let God be glorified. That's the only way it's going to work here. Amen. Oh, I hope that Energy Baptist Church, when I'm dead and gone, whoever stands behind the pulpit of wood will have that same attitude. But so many churches, their preachers start good and they keep on going on, but the people bring in the wrong man. Don't ever become desperate for a preacher. You just say, you know what, if we're going to have a preacher, that's going to be a person that loves the word of God and he believes every single word of it. Amen. Amen. He may be not the most dynamic person, maybe not the best looking person, but he's got to believe God's word. Amen. And if you don't have that, you've really got nothing. you really got nothing. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care if they've got a radio broadcast, a TV show. I really don't care. Give me a simple man that takes the Bible and just says, Thus saith the Lord. And everybody says, Amen and Amen. And they lift up their hands and they worship the Lord their God and fall to their face before him. Amen. That's, my friend, how it's supposed to go. Amen. So God tests us many times with these men of the world. That's why sometimes I don't jump on every situation I hear in the church. Man, I'd be jumping all day long, you know. This person said that, that person said this. Say, well, we'll we'll see how true you are to God's word. We'll see how true you are to the truth. Because it will test you. They'll say things. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to stand up and say, you're wrong, man. I love you, but you are absolutely wrong. You've got to stop talking that stuff. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Deuteronomy 13, it says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he giveth thee a sign or a wonder, 
And the sign or a wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which uh, thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Say, God, why do you let these guys out? Why do you just shut them down? As soon as they start worshiping false prophets, just kill them, God. God says, no, I'm not only not going to kill them, I'm going to let them come to you. I'm going to let them give you their garbage message. Because I want to prove your heart. Amen. That's all we need today. We need some men and women of this church, when they're faced with these things, that you go right to Scripture and say, you know what, you are absolutely wrong. And then fall into suit with what God says what to do in regards to that situation. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you to the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. There's an error coming in, and people talk in error. There's only one purpose for error. The Bible calls it doctrines of devils. You know, behind every false doctrine, there's a devil. Behind every lie that you hear, there's a demon working that thing. That's why I, don't, I just don't placate that kind of thing. Well, you understand, my church taught that, and they were wrong, and it was demonic. And that's why I said this morning, you know, if you've been involved in a, in a church situation where they taught you error from the Word of God, you need to get on your face before God and say, Lord, I renounce that I ever listened to any of that, those lies, because it's not about the preacher, because you liked him. It's not about the people that, that, that were at the church. There was a devil that planted that idea somewhere along the line, and that's what's being transferred into your life. And it's sending souls to hell. And so we got to take this seriously. I remember I had this young lady who came to me in the Bible college, and, and she just was really struggling, and she came came from very much a old colony Mennonite background. And that's exactly what we did. I says, you need to renounce your background. You need to renounce those lies. And, and she did that. Man, I tell you, God did just a miracle in her life. She had to break that bond. The devil holds you through the lies. You have to renounce the lies, renouncing the hidden things of dishonesty. You've got to get rid of them or they're not going to go. You think the devil's going to say, oh, I'm getting tired of holding this lie in your heart. No, he just loves it and he'll do it till Jesus comes. There's only one way to deal with lies in your heart. You have to renounce them. You're in control of that. Deal with the lies. Deal with the errors. Amen. Become free so that God can put the truth in your heart. And you can give forth the word of God to the masses, amen? Unadulterated, purely, no false motive, no, no ideas popping around your head that shouldn't be there. I know what it's like. You're told certain verses mean this, and every time a preacher reads that verse, right away you think, oh, oh there we go. You know? I, sometimes I've looked at people and say, I get, when I just read that verse, you just, you just stumbled, didn't you? Because I know the background. So you need to renounce that. You need to remove the tie that Satan put into your soul through that false interpretation of Scripture. You know, he is such a weasel, a devil. But he's got little demons running around all over this world. 
I'll tell you, that's where the Muslim faith came from. That's where the Mormon faith came from. That's where uh, the Jehovah's Witness faith came from. It come from little devils that are walking around the world. And it's amazing. At the same time that Christians are starting to go to these uh, smart guys to start criticizing the Word of God. Also, we got Mormonism on the ride. Also, we got Jehovah's Witnesses showing up. Also, Seventh-day Adventists. All in the same short period of time. Just on the heels of Darwinism. On evolution. In the same time. Where did it come to? Oh, oh, on the heels of that, what happened in, in the 1900s? World War. Who started? Germany. Where did they get their education from? It started at the place where they began criticizing the Word of God. <laughs> you talk about man. Do we need more proof? I mean, in a court of law, that would, that would stick. <laughs> you know? It's all there. It's written in the history books. There's enough proof to show. And I'll tell you something. Today, the churches, the churches that we have going today are still running off of that downgrade that started in the 1800s. They are still filtering down from that because they have not renounced it. They haven't said, no way, man, we're going back to the pure word of God. No, they are following the same decline. And that's why we got waves of different truth coming out in different ways. Power evangelism. Remember in the 90s, power evangelism came about with John Wimber. He said, no, nobody's going to get saved unless we can heal them first. They need a demonstration of power and healing before they can actually be saved. I'm sorry, that's not scripture. Why didn't anybody look at the Bible, you know? I remember I had a Mormon come to my door. I said, you know what, something, if Joseph Smith would have believed the word of God, you wouldn't be a Mormon today. Me, and this is a, an elder from California. They were always sending me the big guns because all these guys hated to come to my place. They had an X on me. So I just kept telling them the Bible and preaching at them. You know? I never invited them into my home, by the way. You don't do that. Right at the door, he just preached, this is my house. The guy started, he, one Jehovah's Witness started criticizing me. He said, oh, you talk to him. I said, this is my house, man. When I come to your house, I'll let you talk. But in my house, I'll talk all I want. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Oh, no, we, we, I love you. No, you don't. You don't love that garbage. These people are sending people to hell. By the droves, there's people right now burning because of that doctrine. I hate it with a passion. I hate the false way. God hates the false way. Jesus hates the false way. Why in the world is the church loving the false way? Amen. Something's not right. Amen. Where were they going with that? Oh, the Mormon. <laughs> tell you, I, hit, I hit some rabbit trails. I go all over the place, man. <laughs> but anyways, this Mormon comes to my door. And he says, well, what do you mean? I says, well, the Bible says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached. It says, let him be a curse. And he said that twice. I says, that verse was there when Joseph Smith got those visions from that angel. So if he would have believed the Bible, he would have gone to the Bible and says, hey, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel. But you know what? He decided to believe the angels. And he said, you know what? What's going on here is the gospel that the church has is all wrong and we need a new one. You're here to bring revival to the church well, where do you see that in the Bible? It's got to become biblical, man. That's at the heart of Mormon. That's where it all began. It started with not following the Word of God. Very simple. Very simple. So now, you know what, Christians, they're holding hands with this. Well, we're almost the same. No, they're not. 
Because Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer. Jesus is not just a spirit child that once was a man on earth and became a god. He is Jehovah. (laughs) He's eternal. He's always been and always will be. That's a completely different God, a completely different Jesus. And the Bible says that the Apostle Paul said that, that he, uh, trying to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where, where he's saying that, that, that he was concerned that they were being beguiled from the simplicity that was in Christ. And how that there came another preaching another Jesus unto you. And yet they, in their mind they couldn't discern which was the right one. You can if you know the Bible. If you're in Ezra, if you're by the water gate, you could. Then when you stand there, you'd say, well, thus say the Lord. Not these ideas that pop in your head, well, I think this. I really don't care what you think. Your brain has nothing to do with this. Truth. Truth. Thus saith the Lord truth. And rightly divided, by the way. Amen. And that takes a little work. That takes a little time. That takes a little uh, prepared heart. That takes a little seeking the Lord with a pure motive. Amen. I'll tell you something. Wow. You glad you're here tonight? (laughs) I am. You cannot please God out of God's will, and you cannot be in God's will outside of God's word, and you cannot be in God's word if you don't love God. That's where it all starts. I'm in the will of God. Not if you've got a wrong relationship with his book. You've got a wrong relationship with his book, then you also don't love him. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. It's a love relationship. When you go to the Bible, you love it so much, you, want, you, you, you care for it, like it would be a letter from the love of your life. You're going to try to read into it or try to twist it and try to make it sound like you want it to sound. You just want to hear what, what he's got to say to you. It's got to have the right motive to it. Amen. Those are the ones that are doing the will of God today. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. I'm sorry, I really don't want to talk to you. I want to just lift up God's word. Amen. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. You have some people just saying, oh, well, I believe it's past, or I think this, or I think that. Just shut your mouth, man. If you don't know, just shut your mouth until you know. I, I get too many people telling me what they think it may be, but they're not sure. But they don't realize when they're spreading that kind of word out there, it's like a canker that starts eating the souls of men. The words that come out of our mouth ought to be pure and right. And we don't understand it. We say, I don't understand this. That's okay. (laughs) We always taught our students that, you know, when you're studying the Word of God and somebody talks to you at a door or whatever it is, and and you don't know the answer, you know, there's nothing wrong with being humble before God and just saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that. You trying to come up with an answer when you don't know it, that's about the dumbest thing you can do. (laughs) But you know, us and our pride, us and our zeal, that's what we do. Well, it can't be true. You know, just be quiet. It's okay to not know everything. But if you don't know it, don't say it. But when you know it, then you better preach it. And you better preach it loud. 
Because there's somebody in your life that needs to hear it. The truth is worthy of your voice. <laughs> it's worthy of the time that you put into giving it to people. So don't be afraid of that. Do it with love and do it with graciousness and do it with, with spirit leading. Amen? I mean, like I said at the hospital, I could have gone there. Everybody's just, hey, <laughs> they would have thought I was just a kook. There's other people doing stuff like that with different topics. But I just kept praying, Lord, is there somebody here you want me to talk to? And through a chain of events, I went to three different rooms. They moved me three different times. Finally, the last time we moved was to this room that was designed for one bed. They turned that bed sideways. They put me in beside this guy. We could have held hands sleeping together. <laughs> I said, Lord, maybe this is it. And sure it was. And I was able to give him the, the word of God, the gospel. And you could tell the resistance off the bat was, oh, because it was a, it was a, a Lutheran background. And it's basically Catholic at this point. And, you know, he, was, he, he came back, like, you could hear, here was a little hit. But I didn't let that worry me. I said, well, the old Bible just says this. And all of a sudden, he just was quiet. I said, this is what the Bible says. And the Bible says this, too. I said, I just believe what the Bible says. I said, it's crazy. We live in a day and age where Christians are running around not, not talking what the Bible says. They're just saying a bunch of things. They got a message, but it's not even what the Bible says. Half the things he just told me, there's nothing in the Bible about that. He's so concerned about getting confirmed. Said, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about that? Huh? <laughs> uh, let me tell you what the Bible says. <laughs> it's worthy. They need to hear that. And I know it's uncomfortable, especially when the resistance is there, but I'll tell you, when, you're, when you just try to, Lord, just fill me with your spirit and you just use the word of God, it was just like the Lord just hit that thing, just toppled it over like it was a, a Lego. <laughs> and I spent hours with him, giving him scripture and truth. And it was to the point where he asked me questions, then he just sat there and listened. And truth was going into his heart and soul. About salvation. <clears throat> about the Bible. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened with him. I asked him before he, when I first went there and I asked him, I said, so if you were to die today, where would you go? And he said, well, I don't know. I'm hoping I'd go to heaven. I said, why would you think that? And he said, well, I've been pretty good. I've done these things. And I said, oh, okay. But I said, do you realize the Bible says it's none good? <laughs> You're taking away that which is important to me. Well, only because I love you. But when I left, right before I left, I gave him a big hug. And I said, if you were to die today, where would you go? He said, I'd go to heaven. I said, why would you go there? Because Jesus died for me. Amen. I don't know what happened. I, you know, I didn't lead him no sinner's prayer. It wasn't the way the Lord lead me. He didn't want me to just you know, make it a sinner prayer thing. There was something deeper that needed to happen in that man. You're talking about generations of, of false doctrine. It had to be the word of God. And the word of God, I said, well, when I first met you, you you're telling me that you were good enough. You had some good things. He says, yeah, but well, you told me the Bible says it's none good. <laughs> I said, it's true. <laughs> good answer. That's what I told him. I says, I says, Lyle, I says, that's a good answer. I says, I hope that answer is right in the middle of your heart. You know, and I committed him to the Lord. All I could do, that's all I can do. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, man. I'm not going to say nobody, but we have got this precious book in our hands. All we need to do is, is say the verses and tell people and just make a little sense of it. And it's amazing, the power, the power of God's word. 
It, it just, it just, it blew me away. I just went away from there. Man, God, this is real stuff. This is real. This isn't just a, someone moving into a room and starts talking about religion, man. This is, this is the word of God. It, it has power and it broke through and it, it, it ripped the heart open. And it got in there. Oh, I thanked him for that. God be thanked. I couldn't do that. You can't do it. But he's given us this precious sword in our hand. He says, I'll tell you something. I've got a Holy Spirit that knows how to wield that. You don't know how to wield it. But if you will just know it and love it and teach it, great things will happen. You know where this church came from? Exactly that. You didn't come here because I'm good looking. (laughs) That's all I know. There's something about the word of God here. That's what brings you back. And sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to go, but, but, you know, but, you know, in your heart. So I remember witnessing some people and I'd say, you don't have to sit here and listen to me. And the guy says, yeah, I know, but I, I don't think I can leave. I says, that makes sense. You can't resist the wisdom of God. There's something so attractive about it. It draws them to it. But at the same time, it's fighting every fiber uh, of what they've been taught, you know? So there's this in and out attitude that, oh, I don't want to go, but I have to, <laughs> you know? That's the battle of this book. Amen. Amen. That's Christianity. That's what church life is. Boy, we don't have that water gate. <laughs> We've got no Christian life. We need to be in Ezra. Do you got a prepared heart tonight? Are you a ready scribe? You're ready to go. Are you skillful? Now I know. I mean, when I started Bible college, I was all freaked out that I'd have to read through Ephesians five times. I can't do that. The whole semester. (laughs) Twelve weeks. Come on, I'm a busy man. It's only six chapters. Last night I couldn't sleep. I read seven books of the Bible. (laughs) I was thinking, maybe the Lord will put me to sleep reading the Bible. He didn't. Okay, what now, Lord, after I started praying a while, you know. <laughs> I mean, God just wanted me to read the Bible, amen. Oh, I'll tell you something, folks. How's your relationship with the book? Are you on track with your Bible reading this year? Has that kind of fallen by the wayside? It's not that important anymore. I'm busy. Uh, uh, there's no job gate. There's no money gate, but there sure is a water gate. Let's get back to the book, amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Stand to our feet. and ask John to come play. I think the Lord has done a good work here today. I think everybody here can make some kind of decision about their relationship to the Word of God and their place by that water gate, that pulpit of wood, that making the sense thereof, that, that worshiping God, that loving the Scripture, I think there's so many things we can come before God tonight and say, you know what, Lord, I really need to get back to that book and love it with all of